Blog Talk Radio. Ghost Dog. What? Ghost Dog. Ghost Dog? He said Ghost Dog. Yeah, he calls himself Ghost Dog. I don't know, a lot of these black guys today, these gangster type guys, they all got names like that they make up for themselves. Is that true? Sure. He means like the rappers. You know, the rappers, they all got names like that. Snoop Doggy Dog, Ice Cube, Q-Tip, Method Man. My favorite was always Flavor Flav from Public Enemy. We got the funky fresh flyer flavor. Live lyrics from the bank of reality. I kicked the flyer so I knew the technicality. Do a dope track. I love that guy. I don't know anything about that. But it makes me think about Indians. You know, they got names like uh, Red Cloud, Crazy Horse, Running Bear. Yeah, Indians, niggas, same thing. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. Imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro-Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. Mind expansion engaged. What's up? We're back. It's the midweek, folks, the midweek in review edition of AfroNerd featuring Captain Kirk and, of course, yours truly, Debert, a.k.a. The AfroNerd. We have a lot to get into, as always, per usual. You know, I didn't think we did a, a, a good enough um, synopsis on the life and times of Cassius Clay, better known as Muhammad Ali, so I wanted to provide more information and just to give you uh, my thoughts personally and otherwise i'm sure the captain he was unavailable for saturday's show so i'd like to hear what he have to say about this great iconic political socio-political boxer activist and so forth so we'll get into that matter of fact uh well let me give you the number <laughs> let me not go ahead of myself the number is 646-915-9620 again 646 646- Nine one five nine six two zero. Feel free to buzz on in with your questions, your queries, your protestations. You know the spiel. 
just call on in with your issues, and we'll deal with you <laughs> justly. Anyway, um, to keep with the theme of the late Muhammad Ali, I want to play this cut that was actually pretty popular. I think it charted at one time in the mid-'70s. This is Johnny Wakelin, Black Superman, and it's in honor, an homage, just to, go to, just to show the audience just how popular Muhammad Ali was, how, how just ubiquitous this person was. So, again, Johnny Wakelin, Black Superman, an homage to Muhammad Ali. Give you a few moments reminiscing. We'll be right back. Let's groove.
right. A little bit of nostalgia there, folks. Once again, Johnny Wakelin, Black Superman. And that's exactly what many likened Muhammad Ali to be as the Black Superman. But I'll get into that. I'll, I'll even throw some nerd lore, an interesting bit of nerd lore with uh, Muhammad Ali. Anyway, folks, this is the Midweek in Review edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk. So the captain, he was out on assignment, Rigel 23. So he's back in full effect. I just have to beam him up. Cap, you're needed in engineering again. Who would have thunk it? Let's get to it. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. As they say in disaster movies, this is just the beginning. Let's go, Afro-Nerd. Let's go. All right, folks. And again, the number six four six nine one five nine six two zero six four six nine one five nine six twenty. You know, last Saturday for the Grindhouse, and we, we will be revisiting the Grindhouse as always every Saturday. So don't you forget at six p.m. with uh, the illustrious Daryl B. Claire Lene, Captain Kirk. I think returns on Saturday, and of course yours, tru- yours truly. So don't forget that. I did touch on passing of Muhammad Ali, but I thought that it would be apropos to kind of go into it a little bit deeper, maybe more personal. Um, Muhammad Ali, of course, we know him to be uh, perhaps one of the the best boxers that ever lived, if not the best boxer, arguably, and not just, just because of the skill. A lot of it had to do with the fact that he risked a lot politically. He, would, he, he represented a certain time. We're talking about the 60s. Um, as a young man uh, performing at, at the Olympics and, and also um, defeating Sonny Liston. Uh, but beyond that, when you go into, again, the 60s, what, what athletics represented at that time, we're talking about a tumultuous period. If you talk about just black folks, women, uh, the war, gays, it was an upheaval. All the political deaths that occurred in the 60s, Malcolm X, Dr. King, JFK, RFK, we can go on and on, Medgar Evers, all those folks passing, it was a completely tumultuous time. And Muhammad Ali was, represented an aspect, he, was, he represented the youth of that time. So, again, his early underpinnings, when you, when you factor in his, his birth name, Cassius Clay was a noted abolitionist. So he's already coming in from a certain angle. And then when he was, uh, he fell under the tutelage of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and tangentially with Malcolm X, he changed his name. 
for a brief spell, he was Cassius X. And we know the whole thing with that. I mean, that's just as Malcolm X became El Haj Al Malik, um, Shabazz, pardon me. Um, Muhammad Ali went through a similar change. So eventually became from Cassius X to Muhammad Ali. I, I will say, you know, history has a lot to, uh, has a lot with, to do with perception or the change of perception. In our household, I would perceive Muhammad, Muhammad Ali to be somewhat uh, polarizing. Now, what, what does Afrinerd mean by that? Well, in my household, and not that dissimilar from other households, black or white, but I'd say especially black folks, the, the older people at that time, Perceived him to be somewhat of a a rambunctious figure. He wasn't necessarily staid. He was very braggadocious. Uh, We never saw anything like that. So he came in on a whole different trip. And then you had you had the factor in. You you did have patriotic black people who participated in many of the campaigns that this country was involved in whether it was World War II, one, two, and, and so forth, the Korean War. But the Vietnam War was especially, especially polarizing because you had a lot of black and brown minority young men that were dying in this war. Now, we can look back on this war many years later, decades later, and now I think the consensus is that it was a bad war that America lost on some level. And that they, that we went to war under less than honorable reasons. I mean, they will tell you, or the books will have it that uh, history books will tell you that we went there to uh, forestall the encroaching, the encroaching communism. Matter of fact, it was based on the Gulf of Tonkin, where a an alleged sh- ship was attacked. Robert McNamara, who was the Secretary of State at that time, again, many years later, has confessed on record that that attack never happened. So, again, decades later, we have been told now by a high-ranking official that this war was started under false pretenses. And then when you factor in the the amount of death deaths that occurred, mostly minority men. And you have Muhammad Ali who became a conscientious objector because of his religion. He famously said, and I'm paraphrasing, and I'll play a clip in a moment as well. He he famously said that I have no I have no beef with with these other folks of color, that this is based on white supremacy. And, you know, African-Americans, Negroes at that point when he said this, were not allowed to be free human beings. So if we're not, if we're not able to have or garner full access in the Americas, 
why then would we go halfway across the world to fight other darker folk for less than honorable reasons? He lost his boxing license and was not allowed to box for about three, three and a half years during the, his prime. So because of that, and again, he was hated at that time. When Dr. King, before he died, he also weighed in on the Vietnam War. And if you, as an American citizen, at that time, questioned the reasoning behind uh, soldiers going into war, it's, you know, it's, one can construe it as being, you know, really, really being traitorous. Years later, things, things look a lot differently. So I'm going to play this clip from the Young Turks. I have a lot more to say about uh, Muhammad Ali. But we have to remember that if you go into this, this man's life and what he represented, he was a polarizing figure, but he's definitely a, a, a historical figure, and we will not see his, his, the likes of his, of his kind again. It's like Prince Rogers Nelson left the building under similar circumstances in a way. I mean, as far as someone who just a, a, a talent, an unusual figure. They don't make these folks anymore. So anyway, I'm going to go to this clip for the Young Turks, and we'll we'll dig in even beyond that. Hold on. Grave condition for Muhammad Ali, and we uh, he was. Uh, I don't want to take it back down, but but eventually, obviously, you know, he's in, he's in serious trouble. But you talk about an original, not an original, but a uh, a 1960s legitimate progressive, and taking a stand when mm-hmm. it was unpopular and ruined his career. Uh, and I want to read the famous quote from 1966, came a year before in 1967 when he was stripped of his title because he refused to be inducted for the draft. And Muhammad Ali said, why should they ask me to put on a uniform and go 10,000 miles from home and drop bombs and bullets on brown people in Vietnam while so-called Negro people in Louisville are treated like dogs and denied human rights? No, I'm not going to help murder and burn another poor nation simply to continue the domination of white slave masters of the darker people the world over. Um, uh, you know, talk about putting something at risk uh, at the time. Uh, didn't fight for three years, three-plus years in the prime of his career uh, and fought it all the way to the Supreme Court, where, for whatever it's worth, he won. And uh, his uh, conscientious objector status was upheld, but he's in a Phoenix hospital in, uh, in grave condition as we speak right oh, now. No. So you read that quote. That quote sounds so radical. Today they would call him absolutely crazy left-wing radical. And it wasn't easier in the 1960s. It was harder in the 1960s, mm-hmm. right? And, for, and he changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. And, he, and, and so many of the sports broadcasters refused to call him Muhammad Ali. They kept calling him Cassius Clay. He fought through all that. He fought through prison because he knew what was the right thing to do. I mean, he was a fighter in the ring. He was a fighter outside the ring. And, and so I, just an absolutely great American. And I want to leave on a non-political note uh, with Muhammad Ali. This is the quote I have of him uh, up in my room. It's the only picture I have in my room. It's that picture you saw where he's standing over the guy. And, uh, and he said uh, at a different time, the fight is won or lost far away from witnesses, behind the lines, in the gym, and out there on the road. 
long before I dance under those lights. And that is so true. It's not in that moment you find out who you are. It's before that moment, uh, when you give it your all in preparation. That's true in politics. It's true in sports. It's true in life. So Muhammad Ali in grave condition and, uh, and added so much to the American culture and to the idea of revolution in this country mm-hmm. that we can be better. And he risked everything uh, to prove that. And in, and in doing so, made us better. All right, we're back. Uh, again, uh, Yank Uger, <laughs> Jank, pardon me, Jank Uger from the Young Turks discussing the, at that point, actually, that was on June 3rd, uh, and that's when uh, Muhammad Ali actually died. But I think at that point when they actually were broadcasting, the news wasn't quite confirmed that Muhammad Ali had actually passed. Um, and just a correction, uh, when I mentioned Robert, because I'm speaking extemporaneously, Robert McNamara was Secretary of Defense at the time of the Gulf of Tonkin um, incident. Anyway, uh, or alleged incident. So anyway, um, going back into uh, what I would say personally about Muhammad Ali is that we, we do have to honor these folks that make a stamp in the annals of history. And uh, I'm always complaining about ad, ad infinitum on this show about what I see as far as figures that I don't think measure up. And I'm very grateful to have lived in a time, even though I'm a Generation Xer, and Generation X are kind of the bridge between X and Y. So we, we kind of understand the Y people a little bit, even though we don't want anything to do with them, per se. But we had Generation Y, millennial friends, the captain and myself. But the, the reason why they're our friends, probably because they had that intellectual curiosity. But many of them I, that I see do not seem to have that. But I don't know if we necessarily have folks built of the same muster as Muhammad Ali. And I was thinking of you know the, the 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 song that I just played, Black Superman. That there is a, a comic, and, and anytime someone dies of this stature, everything that is connected to to that person rises in price exponentially. And there's this DC comic. This is why I go into blurred talk. There's this DC comic that even Captain Kirk's predecessor brought to my attention a few days ago. He's asking asking about it. I even have a T-shirt based on the cover of this comic. It's Superman versus Muhammad Ali. I believe I have that book. It's one of those oversized books. It's it was a special edition. It's like the size of a Ebony magazine or a size of a Life magazine, and it it has Superman in a boxing ring fighting Muhammad Ali. And there's a big storyline. You know, it's a, it's a goofy story as to how these two are able to actually fight a contest of champions by these aliens. But the reason why I mention it, for two reasons. One, that book, I think, is in the wake of Muhammad Ali's death. I think it's either a couple of hundred bucks, maybe even up to beyond $1,000 already for that book. And I think before his death, he probably could have got that book for maybe 20, 25 bucks. But the fact that as a comic collector, you could see this story and accept it as, as like, oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> because Muhammad Ali was, was such a bad guy. And I mean bad meaning good, of course. Such a, uh, a, a, a quote-unquote 
living living embodiment of what I classified when I spoke about Prince, this otherworldliness, someone who did something. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a number of individuals of Bruce Lee or Jackie Robinson or even Willie Mays, athletics or uh, politics, some of these figures, uh, Malcolm X, some of these figures that I do not see today, they come across otherworldly. So to see Muhammad Ali in, on a comic as a kid fighting Superman was actually, it, it made sense. And I had to think about it honestly. Wow, I, I, didn't, I didn't say looking at that book as a kid, oh, that's just corny. There were books that these, these comic book companies would, would try to put on you that you would just say, okay, that's just, that's just stupid. Think remember, oh, I accept it as a matter of fact. <laughs> so, oh, okay, of course, of course Superman would fight Muhammad Ali. That's a testament to what this man meant not only as a as a historical figure, but what he meant to American culture. We could talk about African American culture, but as far as American culture, perhaps one of the most photographed men in history. I think at the time, I think he was second unto the president. So when you think of the Michael Jacksons and these superstars, he was on an equal plane, on an equal playing f- field, or even maybe be even beyond that. We know that in later years, um, he came down with the Parkinson's disease disorder that we also know actor Michael J. Fox has. And um, I think almost three decades with this disease, and it's a completely debilitating, wasting away disease. It's a horrible way to pass on. But when you saw some of the, the pictures of Muhammad Ali, uh, I would assume within a, within the weeks that he was he was aware that he was he was going, he really was a shadow. I mean, many of these boxers do not fare well in advanced age. You start to see some of these folks that have since passed on, even before Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, and so forth. They could barely speak, and all these issues. I wouldn't doubt CTE issues. I'm being told now that uh, the Parkinson's the Parkinson's might have been more genetic than an actual, you know, I think some folks perhaps believe he received too many too many blows. You know, the rope-a-dope strategy, uh, as a pugilist, he put himself out there to take, to wear his, his opponent out. That's another, another tactic that put him in a different plane, that he would use a great deal of strategy and intelligence to defeat his, his uh, opponents, that he was, he was a speed guy. He wasn't necessarily a strength guy. He used ingenuity, intelligence, and strategy to defeat opponents that were, many would say, were more, were, were, had greater strength than Muhammad Ali. George Foreman was a, was a, was a bad dude. I mean, he's a huge guy. Um, you know, some of these folks were, were, one could argue, were stronger than Muhammad Ali, but he was able to outsmart them. Um, I could go on and on about this gentleman uh, from Louisville, Kentucky. Cap, any thoughts on Muhammad Ali? Well, you pretty much covered everything, but to interact synergistically with what you said and not to really go over the same things, let me uh, expand upon as far as like his boxing style from that standpoint. What we have to understand with Muhammad Ali, 
before the layoff, total speed guy, incredible. No one has seen a heavyweight move like that before. Because you have to understand, most heavyweights, they fight flat-footed. They're big guys. Fight flat-footed. They're not going to bounce around on their toes and everything else, you know? And also, there was something rather unique that people also didn't see. Most heavyweights, and even to this day, they can't fight going backwards. Oh, they have to constantly go forward. Muhammad Ali, if you look at tape, it'd be digital probably now, even though it's tape that has to be changed over to digital. But anyway, showing my age there. You look at tape on Muhammad Ali, you'll see he can fight backwards. That is a nightmare for a heavyweight that likes to come forward because as they're cutting off the ring, he's still hitting you with jabs and a few quick punches to your head. Incredible. Now, the only thing I would say, looking at the tape, he could have been a little more accurate when you look at it, even in his younger days. Could have been a little more accurate. You know, but that was the style. He was very fast before the layoff. And he would make a lot of punches to your head. Simply put, he hits you, you can't hit him. (laughs) That's the best. (laughs) That's the best. Then after the layoff, he realized he wasn't the same fighter anymore. Those were his prime years. Suck driver's prime years. Not quite as quick. But he realized something. He could take a punch. So hence the rope-a-dope and other things where he had to rely more on his intelligence. Also getting inside a fighter's heads. You're not hitting that hard. You're not hitting that hard. You're just a boy. You're a little girl. And mess with a fighter who can really hit. He's able to take your blows. So this was the intelligent factor after the layoff. I thought it was totally impressive. Now, in my household... It was actually not so much my father. It was my mother that was very much into Muhammad Ali. My mother wasn't really into sports, but when she saw him, she got into it. She liked boxing. She liked boxing, you know? And that's what really instilled that into me as far as Muhammad Ali is concerned. Now, also, too, the fight, the Rumble in the Jungle, 1974, I got to see that fight. And no one thought, that was him against George Foreman, by the way, for those of you who don't know. No one thought Muhammad Ali could win this fight. And that's a classic case of, come on, boy, come on, boy, as, as he would say. Let, your, let the stronger man, the more powerful man, because George Foreman was powerful. <clears throat> and everyone was scared of him. And also styles make fights. He let him punch himself out. You know, he let him punch himself out. George Foreman didn't know what to do. After he got a little bit tired, then all of a sudden, here comes Muhammad Ali. Boom, 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 boom. You're on the canvas. It's over. Classic case of brain over brawn. This man will be highly missed, and he stood for a lot. Great boxing star, great boxing prowess, great political figure, really stood for something. Put it all on the line. And as Affinard said, you're not going to see that type of individual in this day and age. It's not going to happen. Back over to you, Affinard. 
Yeah, one other thing, too. I, I have to be respectful also. Um, a couple of things, actually. One can credit Muhammad Ali for bringing the spectacle to the sport, real spectacle, real money, uh, real interest. Um, you know, I, I, I will say also, and this is all due, shout out to the tangential producer of the show, the Oracle. The Oracle is a is a big, 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 big boxing fanatic. He loves boxing. You know, even if it's women fighting, and he, he doesn't care. He does, whoever, whoever, whatever, weight division, he's into that. Um, perhaps we should have had him on the show to discuss Muhammad Ali or even discuss boxing because that's really his thing. And on, on occasion, I will look at a boxing match uh, with with my father. Um, I think in recent years. I've become somewhat dis, disinterested in boxing, and a lot of it is because the spectacle is gone. I mean, we could talk about uh, Floyd Mayweather, who I think is an absolute minstrel, uh, which is also a, a reminder of the times that we're, we are in now, where you know they tried to harken back to the days of the thriller in Manila, or as the captain mentioned, the rumble in the jungle. You know, we forget about Ken, the mighty Ken Norton. I mean, these, these were also match us with, with people that had you like, okay, this could go either way. And now we, we somewhat have to struggle through these things. Um, I, will, I will give props to the, the 80s when it came down to, because at that point we're talking about the tail end of Muhammad Ali's career, but when you think about uh, pre-Mike Tyson, who also, you have to give it up, he was instrumental in bringing back some of that, that interest Post, post Mike Tyson, forget about it. But in my opinion, humble opinion, but when you think about the Sugar Ray Leonard's and um, uh, the, the Tommy Hearns and those, those, those guys, uh, you, you know, you had a number of fights that somewhat harkened back to what, what, what Muhammad Ali actually started. But that's something that I think we have to actually pay attention to, that the big, big money – that we see in sports now, you might be able to tie it to a, to a Muhammad Ali. That's when you started hearing multi-million dollar purses under Muhammad Ali's reign. Before that, and again, he was right there with Bill Russell and Jim Brown. Uh, they even, they even t- together, and also uh, another uh, Muslim convert, uh, Lou Alcindor to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who I would say is a blurred, who I've been trying to get on the show, actually. I mentioned he, he wrote a book recently, Cap, on um, uh, Mycroft Holmes, Sherlock Holmes's brother, who, uh, who in Sherlock Holmes mythology is supposed to actually be smarter than, than Sherlock Holmes. So uh, I have great admiration for, for another hero of mine, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, because he's, he's, he's a blurred. Anyway, um, so... The fact that you that you had these multi-million dollar purses, that you had this this group of athletes in the '60s that Muhammad Ali was a part of, that actually developed this community, black community initiative, business initiative. Now that goes to, that goes to show you, Captain, the mindset. That they had popularity, they had some power, but they did not have the access to monies. Not, you know, they did, but not at the level we're talking about now. 
We're talking about athletes that are getting tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in the new era, whereas these gentlemen were not getting those kind of monies, and yet they still had the foresight to come together for a black community economic initiative, famously. Now, that's a testament to, again, love him or hate him, polarizing or not, he certainly was, I would say, more grounded and, and unapologetically black and confrontational about that at a time. That's due in, due in part because, you know, listen, he, has, he had that, that FOI, NOI, Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X connection. Then there was then there there was the infamous falling out. Uh, I believe sometime in the mid seventies, Muhammad uh, he shied away from the Nation of Islam, became a Sunni um, Muslim. So he became you know more more uh, orthodox and um, I'm sorry more more mainstream Muslim that is, as opposed to the Nation of Islam. But uh, at the time, think about what was going on culturally where a black person was very confrontational about his, about his blackness whereas we just do not see that today that there's so, there's so much money involved with the modern athlete that they're not going to risk that we're not hearing too much of of, of, of a conscientious, conscientious objector, I mean now, you know, that's when they had an actual draft they don't, we don't have a draft right now you know, it's a volunteer army or volunteer military forces. But at that point, you had folks that were getting drafted, unless you were a Donald Trump <laughs> or, or, or many of these, uh, these politicians that are very, very much into drumming for war now. But they themselves, when they were young men, they, because they, they came from, from moneyed circumstances, they were able to circumvent that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, we may have to revisit this. Uh, again, folks, these mighty individuals are leaving us. And we have Kanye West and, and uh, Amber Rose. These are your heroes now. These are the heroes for the youth now. Uh, maybe, maybe Malala. I'll give it up to her. Malala might be someone for the youth that took a bullet to the head and remains stalwart. I believe she's in England. Uh, she's a true activist, unquestionably, just, just as a Muslim w- young woman who defied these terrorists, survived a bullet to the brain, and now she's becoming educated and she's becoming, becoming forthrightly an international respected figure. But, you know, you can't, you can't – one in a million, and look what she had to, to do. That's it. That's it. Um, let's move things along a little bit, folks. Uh, again, the call-in number is 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Um, let's, let's lighten things up a little bit. I want to talk about um, actually a, a brief interview that took place with Variety, Variety Magazine. Kerry Washington, actors Kerry Washington and Aziz Ansari, actors of color that are out there now, very popular, and doing things that are 
uh, empowering and I would say uh, definitive and all about self determination. But they, but there is a part in this this variety um, interview where you talk about stereotyping. I think Sergio Mims, the, the mighty Sergio Mims, brought this to my attention. I believe he sent an email to me, and I thought it was interesting that Kerry Washington talks about how she was actually attached to two two projects, and they both involved with involved her being quote unquote a ghetto stereotype that she ended up actually being fired from because at the end of the day, the powers that be perceived her not to be ghetto enough. So to, to, to kind of st- still hear these Hollywood shuffle stories, I'm referencing, of course, um, the, the, the movie from the late 80s, Townsend-directed film, that we're still, still hearing these kind of stories, it's frightening. It's, it's frightening. And when I talk about this menstrual industry, this is a real thing, ladies and gentlemen, that, that the fact that we, we are being forced to think a certain way, that there's a conditioning, that a woman that, that is educated and as attractive as, as uh, Ms. Washington is, I'm not really a fan of scandals, not really my, my cup of tea, but as far as her presentation, I have to admit, I do like her presentation, but when it comes down to a job and when it comes down to the, the promotion of a certain stereotype, you could be, and I, would, I wouldn't doubt, folks from the Royal Academy of, of Acting across the pond. Those folks are, are going to be asked to do ghetto roles. Ghetto it up. Black it up. Anyway, I believe I have the clip around here somewhere. And, uh, oh, no, why can't I find this thing? Bear with me, folks. I'm gonna, I, you got to hear this, this uh, clip. You know what? I might have to refresh it. You know what? Let me let me bring in um, Serge for a moment because he brought this to my attention while, while I look for this clip. I got a different uh, take Cap- on this. Uh, <laughs> can, you, can you bring him in? No, I said I got a different take on the whole situation. Oh well, go ahead, go ahead. Before I, now, while I'm looking for this clip, you talk about that, and I'll bring in Sergio in a minute. Well, here's the thing. You know, in Hollywood, a lot of times everyone stereotypes. The stereotype. If me and you, let's just say, now let's talk. Me and you walk in, and they want someone to play a geek. All right? With my physique, your setup, and everything else, who are they going to go for? They're going to go for you. Now, if they said, we need someone that's more like a military type of look or a thuggy, they would go with me. That's a legitimate assessment based on the look, even if we were dressed up a certain way. I, I think that's 100% legitimate. Now, also, too, White guys are stereotyped. If you want a guy, you come in, you say, we need someone with a strong jaw to project masculinity. Oh, we can't have, you know, this pretty face boy. He doesn't project that, even though he might play. His acting might be better. You know, this is what they do. This is on both sides, on both sides of the equation. Now, here's the other side of it. Is it possible that the highly educated person who's black, play a thug role? Absolutely. Can it go the other way with a person who's used to playing thug roles play the highly educated person? Yes, it can. But casting directors, they like to get somebody from their perspective, they say automatically, this person, I think, fits the role. 
fits the role. This fits the role. Denzel, we've seen Denzel play it both ways. What did they give him the, the Oscar for? <laughs> Was it trading day? Trading day, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. So, so you see, that's what Hollywood likes to do. We probably do catch it worse. As they say, when white people catch a cold, we catch something like, you know, the total flu or worse, the monster, the AIDS in that case. So they do that to everybody, but I think we do catch it worse. We do catch it worse. That's all. That's all. All right, let me uh, let me bring these folks in. I can't seem to find, you know, I de- uh, uploaded that, that clip. It was a brief clip, courtesy, you know, let me, let me, hold on, let me try one more thing. Nope, maybe it didn't, it didn't take. I had like a two-minute clip from Variety of the, uh, they were interviewing each other, actually. It was, it was a great exchange between uh, uh, Aziz, who is of Indian descent, uh, with Ms. Washington, who was of African-American descent, and they were going with their, their trials and tribulations of being minority actors and how. Well, you, you, you said it correctly, but I just think that the ghetto trope, I'm more, I, I, it's, I have a, a tick when it comes to the ghetto trope, as you know, Captain. There's something about that where it seems like I just think that yeah, you're, you are correct, but they're going to be asking for that ghetto trope. Even though everyone has a stereotype, that ghetto trope supersedes everything. They, they, they well, expect true. you to be able to do that. It's, it's very true. ubiquitous is what I'm saying. It's a ubiquitous stereotype that seems to follow us and that the fact that it, it comes off as very much of, a, of a, a conditioning thing. It's a conditioned standard for black people that is harming us. And we, we have no other way to go. The, the fact that you have this, and I, I've only seen a couple of episodes of it, and it should be my thing, but sometimes CBS has a tendency to have these franchise shows that annoy me a bit, that the NCIS – the CSIs and all that kind of stuff that's going on. Yes. They have Scorpion, which is essentially a thinly veiled NCIS with nerds. Mm-hmm. They had the Asian stereotype going on in this, in this, it's Asian and white. But I don't see anybody else, color, in that mix, Latin, Latin or African American, in that mix, as far as the nerd stereotype, anything dealing with intelligence for the purposes of entertainment, we used to see it in the 70s, believe it or not. You had Raj from What's Happening. You had Urkel in the 90s. And then somewhere down the line, they, we, we veered off. They're not allowing that. They're not allowing it. Anyway, I can't find that clip. Let's go to the calls. Uh, I think I know who this is. 484, welcome to the midweek. What's up? Q-Storm, I believe, right? That is correct, sir. What, what's up, man? <laughs> well, I got to say, I, I, I really don't know what this is all about. This is, to me, I saw this story and I'm thinking this is, I know everyone is going to say this is a non-troversy, but you, every now and then you proved me wrong. Um, I'm just curious uh, <clears throat> if, if they were casting for the show, the HBO show Oz, or they were casting for uh, the, the excellent movie um, Boys in the Hood, which, which is a message film, or they were casting for Minutes to Society, which I believe is a message film as well. I think all of those are three brilliant franchise, uh, three brilliant properties. And I walk in there speaking the Queen's English, speaking very proper, 
Do you think I'm going to get cast for the roles that are necessary or required to uh, tell the story in any of those properties? So I don't, I don't understand why, why this is being made into an issue. There are, there are types that exist in reality. We may, we may not like them, but they exist. And if we want to tell those stories and include those types, we have to cast to that type. I mean, let's look at slave narratives. None of us liked the Stephen character in Django, but they had to cast someone. You know, that's true. I, so I, I'm, true. I'm not really getting. I'm not really getting the <clears throat> the outrage here. True. I think I, I can explain true. a little bit better. She, she she was hired two projects that were greenlighted purportedly, and then she was fired off of this. So they liked something about her, but we're you're talking about a specific role. Versus versus a type. In other words, if if they just hired a black woman to be, I don't know. Let's say she was hired to be a a deli owner or you know working in an office. You could be a black person working in an office. You don't have to be a ghetto black person working in an office. Well, we don't I know what we don't know what story they were telling. No, well, hold on. Based on what she said, they made a request for her to act more ghetto. After she got the after she got the job, based on we think this is how black people act in the under these circumstances. We're not talking about being cast as an inmate. That's different. You being what cast was the role as someone she was working asked to at, Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, Q. Being cast as a uh, as a Xerox employee, and you happen to be black, doesn't mean you have to act like this sassy, sassified black person. The way she was speaking, she made it. It was two, two separate projects that asked her to be a bit more ghetto, because that's the perception they they wanted black people to have. So I mean, what, it, it's, a little, it's a little deeper than an inmate, or or some role that that where there's no room. This is more about this is what we think a black person should act like. Do we know what do the you, roles were? Do you see were? the distinction? Do we do Pardon we know me? what the roles were that she was asked to uh, play? No, but we know she was hired and then asked to act more ghetto. Right, but well, so, I, I could make the I can make the argument that she's Kerry Washington. She is a uh, she is an African American female star. She she's head, heading one of the most popular shows in, of the 21st century. Maybe now, the producers. This is before scandal. This is pre scandal during the audition process. But she was okay. Well, she was. She was still. She still had a profile before scandal. I, my point see? being is that I could. I could see. I could see a producer saying, "Hey, that's Carrie Washington. She's an up and comer. People know her. People recognize her. Let's get her. She. She'll bring clout to this production, and we'll just act. Ask her to act a certain way to fit the character. Listen, I'm just saying listen, without listen. without proof, we don't know. Without I, I need to know what the listen. role was before I can make a judgment. No, no listen. I don't. If we go through this all the time, I think I'm being pretty straight with you. Uh, she said, "This is this is early on," um, and as the captain said, everyone kind of goes through this thing. Uh, as especially if you're a minority, you have to act as we would perceive an Asian person to act. Do do the Asian thing. Uh, maybe you you you're not expected to speak the king's the, the king's English. Speak with a dialect. They're going to ask you to do something when. Let's, the role could potentially be be a lawyer. 
or be or whatever the law. This is the distinction between an inmate versus a black just, just a black person. This is these are two projects pre-scandal, and also the whole premise of Hollywood Shuffle that, right. that, these, that but, these casting agents these casting agents would ask you to to be what they thought a just a black person supposed to be. If they ask you to be to be a, a lawyer. Then I asked, you know, it's different than just being a lawyer as opposed to being to be this sassified black lawyer. Matter of I, fact, I, if I, you look at some of the, well, I, hold on. In, in recent in, in recent weeks, I've been looking at uh, revisiting this show with with um, uh, Clifton Davis. Uh, That's my mama. Mid '70s show. And when you look when you look at this show now, you look at it through different eyes. Uh, Ted Lange comes in. We know him from from um, Love Boat, where he comes in every time he opens the door. Hey, you know, it's like this whole animated thing. The same way you saw uh, Jimmy Walker, Dynamite. It's, it's like you, these these roles didn't ask for a person to be a certain um, a certain vocation. It's they're asking you to. To act like well, act like a, a black person. I mean, it's pretty. Let's let's bring in Sergio. But I think Sir, maybe Sergio, he's the one who sent the article to me. I think I'm being pretty clear about this, Serge. Yes. What, what is this? Much ado about nothing. With, with you sent this to me, I believe. Yes, I did, and I thought it was interesting because I think she makes it very. Or she makes it obvious that this was not the way how the character was written. And then they came to her and told her, no, we want you to act this way. If it was a part where she was supposed to be this, you know, ghetto chick from the very beginning, and she agreed to play that role, then she has, then she could, she wouldn't be complaining. But it's obvious that there were these roles where um, I guess she was supposed to play you know, a person, and then the producers in their work perception said, she's not black enough, you got to black it up more for us. And that's why she objected, and that's why, well, I don't know if she objected, but that's why she got fired off the show. Clearly, the roles weren't written that way at first. I, I just find and, it and on top of that, she was hired. I yeah. mean... She was hired for the role on both these shows. I'm sure she went through an audition process. I'm sure they liked what she did, and she got the part. Then evidently, during the shooting, they said, no, we want you to, you know, be more, you know, ghetto. And get fired from the show. I just find it very interesting that she doesn't tell us what the roles were so we can make a uh, uh, an well, you know, in this kind of situation of you can't well you can't do something like that because um who knows she might be working for them again now that she's a big star now that she's a big TV star now that you know she's very much in demand you know you never know these same people may come up to her and may say you know Carrie we want you you can play it any way you want so she may not want well, to burn any bridges the only counter I have to that is, I mean, there was no bigger show in the 90s than Seinfeld. And there was a Puerto Rican actor and a Mexican actor who both went on record to say they refused to play roles. And they listed the roles that they were asked to play for that show. 
because they they found them to be stereotypical. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if that works. Well, you know, well, I you're can't kind of answer for my point. Then I'm, I'm now I'm confused. Aren't you kind of proving the the point of what Aziz and Kerry are talking about? No, no. All my point is is that what you what you say on this show, rightfully so, is that before all the evidence is in, you should not rush to judgment. Now, I'm just saying that it would be interesting or nice for her to reveal what the roles were, so we can as opposed to jumping on the bandwagon, as you talk about black folks like to do, we want, I would like to know what the roles were, and so I can then make a react to it based on the knowledge of, of ha- that I have, based on what she reveals, based on what the roles were. Can I interject? Cap, into- Cap. Yeah, sure. All right. Based on Sergio's analysis, if, we, if we're going to go by that, all right, and we do respect his analysis, I don't think it really mattered. I think all that mattered was the fact that once they started shooting, even though she did well on the audition, from their standpoint, the chemistry that they had with everything going on, it didn't work. So that's a top-down decision. Somewhere at the top, someone said, this, she's not going to work. So I don't think it necessarily means the role, because if it was about the role, you know, she wouldn't have got as far as she did. Based on Sergio's analysis, you know that happened top down, and that happens. You know that. You know that. Q. You know that. You be like, oh, this person's perfect. Then you start going at it. No, they're not. Gonna, that's not going to work. We got to change something here. That's a top down decision. You know? Yeah, and on top of that, these shows maybe they're not on the air anymore. Maybe they never met past pilot, so it doesn't really matter because never ever saw it. Well, that's another good point. So why make us think about it now? Well, it was part of the conversation. It's part part of the conversation conversation she's had with this other actor about how you know they have to constantly fight against being stereotyped in roles. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, you know, listen. I'm not going to stay on this too long, but but listen, Claire, who's out there, talks all all the time about every time she turns around. Are you taking martial arts classes? Like every role that that's, that's requested for. Wow. Oh no, no, she really. really? <laughs> yes. So this, Look, the deeper. I'm not. I'm not said, saying that it doesn't. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. See, don't conflate. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. All I'm saying is, you've done this here. time and time again, <laughs> rightfully so. Before the evidence is put before me, I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon with the emotion. That's all I'm saying. Q, you're disappointing me on a show like this. You're a conscious Wow. I got that from you. I got that from you. No, but you, you, you should be on the next level, doctorate style, sir. No, nah, come yeah, on, man. Now, I, see, now you. Nah, uh-uh. I'm being happy to be with you. I could cite some cases, but I won't, okay? I mean, you've said many times, do not rush to judgment. We don't know. But listen, I, I don't think. But listen, I don't think this is. She's talking about the Hollywood for minorities, and she. We, we have to be honest that she talked about two, not one, two projects that she was actually hired for and then fired for the same reason. So why is it that we we're seeing multiple projects requesting this stereotype? That's what a stereotype no, and is. And on top it's, of that, it's, it's on a, top of that, it's a, it's a, hold on, hold on, sir. It's a repeated request 
for for other people to for other people to 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 put out there that you must act the way they think a black person. I mean, a black person acts like any other black person. I mean, if there's a hundred different types of black people, then there's just a hundred different types of black people. Why do they keep on going to this one type, this sassy fied ghetto type of black person when it comes down to this to this business? We had a whole you had a whole you had a whole movie and I keep on reciting Hollywood Shuffle that talked about that. But you know, and on top of that, no, on top of that, don't, don't remember, she's talking, this is what she is saying. We, she's talking from her experience. This is not somebody else reporting this story. Now, if somebody else, a third person, was reporting this story, that she um, dropped out, was fired from these shows because you're not getting enough, then you can question that because who is this person? Where did he get the information from? But she's saying this herself about her experience. So why should we doubt her? But why, uh, my question now becomes, why is it an issue now? I don't see that on TV happening. I mean, you could say empire. You could say power. But I'm also saying I see blackish. I see uh, Iris West. I see Prairie White and Man of Steel. I see uh, Wally West is black. I see uh, a black Ben Urick on the first series of Daredevil. So why is this an issue that we want to drudge up now? I mean, I understand it is still a problem, but it's not something that we have to say, oh, my God, look, Kerry Washington went through it, too, back in, what, the 80s, 90s? I guess I don't know. I I can't get worked up over that. I cannot get worked up over this. Understandable. I'm not going to go deeper into this, uh, Q. Uh, You know, my belief here is that you have a whole menstrual, menstrual industry that com- that's competing with some recent developments you're talking about. This stuff you, that you're talking about now, you're acting like it's always been this way. We're just starting to see some of this. And even then, with the Oscar, quote-unquote, so white, we can go into the, tr- into the tropes with uh, whether it's the civil rights period or slavery period. I mean, we're still not seeing multifaceted depictions the way that we really need to be seeing them. Um, we have to pray, if you believe in the theory, we have to pray that this Black Panther thing is going to work itself out and that maybe we might see more of that kind of thing. Um, right, but, but the fact still, that you're seeing a Black Panther at all is what I'm saying. Yes, I mean, again, you, you, want to dwell, you want to dwell on what was happening? Okay. All right, no, dear, show, show, man. <laughs> no, but listen, but listen, it's 2018. I mean, you're acting like it's always been this way. You know, I'm not let's, acting let's, like let's that. Let's be honest. From 1940 to like what yesterday? <laughs> I mean, that's what we're that's what we're dealing with now. Yes, there have been changes, but we're not talking about we're, we're talking about systemic uh, changes, infrastructural changes that were re- that would be required. I mean, we're still I'll led just say, by the I'll, I'll just say this. I'll just say this, and then I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll give over the mic so we can move on, but. If Kerry Washington had come, if this had happened and Kerry Washington were talking about something that happened within the last year, two years ago, I would be up at arms, yes. But she's not. And I see the landscape of TV and movies where they're going, and I'm happy with it. I'm not saying it's the best. I'm not saying that there's not room for improvement. But I'm not going to dwell on what happened back then. I'm going to keep moving forward. And I never thought I was a glass half full person. But that's my attitude well, right now. I, I, well, Kerry so. Washington, what, how old is Kerry Washington? Is he like 35? How much time are you talking about? 
Gary Washington hasn't been here that long. We 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 see these people as if they've always been here. Uh, Aziz Ansari has he hasn't been here that long. These people are just starting to get get their 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 wind more or less. And she's talking about probably something within the last five or ten years. So what? I mean, it's still uh, you know we you would you would still hear people talk this way that this is still business as usual. Claire uh. will tell you upright. She talks about this all the time. That this that the expectations for minority actors are what they are. You're still going to be asked to portray a stereotype. I mean, clearly, we're, you're seeing some movement now. Well, flashes with season three coming up. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're acting. We're starting. We're starting. You're acting like this is. This has always been this way. We're just starting to see some of these things. We're starting to see some of them, and we're still combating. The minstrel industry that's thriving, that's on season 8, 9, 10, and 11. That's all I'm saying. Real Housewives of Atlanta is what, season 8 probably? That's what's up. Anyway, I get your point, duly noted. Um, I want to move on to something else, actually, keep you gentlemen on for a moment. Uh, well, you know what, let's go to a group and we come back. You know, I want to talk about this. this I'm, I'm sure... Um, you know, well, you know, Cap. I want to leave this up to you. <laughs> Are we going to do Plantation Olympics with Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, his critique or commentary Let's do it. of Stephen Stephen Curry? So let's, let's talk about it. that or Hannibal. I'll clean it up. Uh, All right, uh, I, I detest I detest Plantation Olympics, but uh, you know. Let's get it out of the way. The, People get emotional when they do Plantation Olympics. <laughs> uh, it's 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 embarrassing to me. It's embarrassing. All right. Anyway, um, let's go to Mavis Staples, the great legendary Mavis Staples. Tomorrow, we'll be right back. Give you about two minutes. I've got something that I really want to say. Sometimes things just won't go your way. But don't you worry when the sky turns gray Tomorrow is another day Life is bound to have ups and downs Every smile, there will be a frown But you'll get through it, come what may Tomorrow is another day Everyone has problems Need a little help You don't have to go through it All by yourself If you're feeling alone Pick up the phone When push comes to shove Talk to someone you love Happiness Is the key to success Too much stress Is gonna leave you depressed Don't forget to make Some time for play Tomorrow is another day Just remember to love somebody Laugh with somebody Give to somebody Live for somebody Love somebody Laugh with somebody
first, you don't succeed, you probably made some mistakes. Life gives you lemons, go and make a lemon cake. Don't you worry, everything's gonna be okay. Tomorrow is another day. Gotta work for what you want, nothing comes automatic. You'll get out what you put in, no such thing as magic. In the end, it's all worth it. Practice makes perfect. Put love in what you do, good things will come to you. I've got something that I really wanna say. Sometimes things just won't go your way. Don't you worry, the sky turns gray. Tomorrow is another day. Life is bound to have ups and downs. For every smile, there will be a frown. But you'll get through it, come what may. Tomorrow is another day. Again, the mighty Mavis Staples tomorrow. This is the Midweek in Review edition of the show. The call in number 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. On occasion, I see that we we have to delve into these issues of of what we call, we say colloquially, just to be humorous, Plantation Olympics. And it deals with the the colorism that's in the African-American culture or experience and i'm never going to discount that uh colorism doesn't exist um obviously it deals with with the overarching issue of white supremacy and how we've been treated in the americas as africans in the americas so you know we've been divvied up we were um bartered literally we were uh manipulated on a psychological level, and we were separated between lighter and darker when it came down to the plantation. Hence, that's why I talk about plantation Olympics. But to to carry this over, like at some point, we do have to get over this. But to carry this over into the, into the 21st century, I didn't like it in the 20th century. So now we're in the 21st century, and it comes up again. I'm led to believe somewhat tongue-in-cheek, Maybe not so much, though, with the uh, Golden State Warriors basketball player, Stephon Curry, and his family, that because of his popularity, his media accept and his family's a photogenic family. Mother is very attractive. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but she is. Um, and the fact that he's, he, he's winning that he is a, uh, a phenomenal player, perhaps one of the best shooters, shooters we've seen in a long time. Uh, they, they're getting into this whole, because he's lighter complected, that this seems to be a thing. I'm hearing, I'm hearing the terms like waffle color. That's, that's, that's bandied about in humor on, on other radio outlets. I mean, all these things, we have these, um, these cruises where you have 
light versus dark. I mean, it, it, it's unsettling. So Dr. Michael Eric Dyson wrote a piece, two pieces actually, regarding this. Some folks, some black people have a problem with, with um, Mr. Curry. I think it's partially because of the skin tone thing, but I think it's coupled with other things going on. The stuff that I like, the stuff that I like, I think that's what's at issue. I think there's a little bit of Cosbyism going on. And until we hear otherwise, until he screws up, <laughs> see, you can't, you can't do the, the Cosby thing and screw up. But if he hasn't screwed up and he, presents, and he continues to present this image as fact, I think that's what some black folks have a problem with. So uh, let's let's open up the lines. Let's go into this. I'm going to look for this Dyson piece to be a bit more specific. But I I, I just don't. I think I'm perhaps I'm a little conceited. I will say in my own head, I'll admit that I am a little conceited. So I I don't I don't like dealing with these 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 color issues. I, I think you know this this is this this is the the the, the this is the the sport of lesser Negroes. I'm gonna put it out like that. Lesser <laughs> Negroes do what this, this stuff. they just do. They just I'm do. And I, cause I, you know, I don't care how light or dark you are. I I see. Maybe I have I, I have uh, some kind of astigmatism. You know, I had my eyes corrected a few years ago. I see one color as as long as you're a black person. I see all Negro when I see a black person in front of me. I don't care how light or dark you are or in between, I see all Negro. If I have to see, you have to speak, and your comportment is what, is what I am concerned with. That's just for me. So if your comportment, I have, I have dealt with, 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 with folks who are black of varied hues that, were, that will show you just how Negroid they can be. So I've already I've already dealt with this issue on a whole different level. So I have to go by what you say and how you comport yourself. That's it for me. That's my standard. I don't. Well, deal can with I say something? Well, yeah, sure. Well, okay, a couple. First of all, I read the article, uh, the Dyson article. Well, I read one of them, and um, I I actually thought it was a good piece. I mean, he. I think he dealt with some issues that people didn't want to talk about. And I have heard – okay, first of all, let me say, I don't know anything about sports. I really don't know anything about basketball. But I know Steph Curry. And how do I – reason why I know Steph Curry? Because he's the light-skinned guy. That's how I know him. You know, when you talk about Steph Curry, yeah, that's the light-skinned guy who plays basketball. Um but if you read the article, the article, he clearly, he does not attack Curry at all. He attacks the mentality that attacks him and goes into the background of why colorism is still an issue. It's very similar to this other thing that's going on regarding Alicia Keys. I don't know if you heard about this or not. But Alicia no, Keys I don't think is I have. now on this, well, it's on this big no makeup thing. That's oh, her okay, thing. that I'm aware she's of. Never, she's not going to wear makeup anymore. You know, and uh, she has her as she has a face full of freckles, and so okay. um, that's her thing now. In concert, on the street, everywhere, she wears no makeup. And I've been reading all these articles about, oh, thank God, here's a woman, here's a black woman who embraces her black beauty and no makeup, and other black women should follow her lead. And I said, are you saying that because she's light skinned? If it was. 
um, Lupita Nyong'o, who said, I'm not wearing makeup anymore, would they be praising her? Or, the, or you know, they're praising Lisa Keys. It's, it's a whole colorism thing again, you know. They'll praise her because she's light-skinned and she's got, like, European features. So, therefore, you know, we can go along with that. But if it was another – and somebody actually did bring up a piece. Uh, Annie Leibovitz took a picture, took pictures of, of uh, Viola Davis – and Lupita Nyong'o without makeup, and they were criticized. How come you make them look so bad? So once again, colorism is an issue. You may be special. You may be different, you know, that you don't go into that. But it still is a thing. It is a major thing. Look at little Kim. She's unrecognizable now. I mean, it still is a major, major thing. Uh. Okay. Any any other folks want to weigh in on this? I'm going to go I'll into a little in. bit of the article from what I Sure. Well, you see, you have a, in my opinion, you have a couple of things going on with the media embrace with Mr. Curry. I think it it has one to do with some of the Cosby thing, you know, the family and all that, but also his stature has somewhat to do with it. I think if he was a six eight six nine guy. They wouldn't embrace him the same way because he's more relatable. They say he's 6'3", but I think more like 6'2". You look at LeBron James, he's 6'8", 250, physical specimen, even though he won the MVP four times, and he is darker. The media does not, Plantation Olympics had to throw that in there, the media doesn't embrace him the same way. They have him somewhat as a villain, but you really can't stop him, even though he might get X'd out in the next two, two games. Jordan who's darker than everybody, Michael Jordan, the great Michael Jordan, MVP, league MVP, five times, made more money than everybody as far as basketball is concerned, right? The media did like him, though, I would say. I, I would say they definitely did like him. But I think with Mr. Curry, you have a couple of things going on. You know, you have that stature where he's approachable, and not just these Six three, but I think really six two. It's a frail six two, six three. Even though they say six three, but I think it's six two. That makes you a bit more approachable by people. Look at the people that interview. They're between five nine, probably to about six three. When you interview LeBron James, you have to look up. You know, LeBron James is a beast. Stands up strong. You know, it's a bit different, and I think that definitely has something to do with it. Now let's take another player. Kevin Durant for OKC. The media likes him. They give him a pass on a lot of things. Why? Because he's always talking about his mother and how his mother helped him through school, helped him through his life, and he has a relationship with the mother and everything else. So the media does like him. Darker hue. Darker hue. So they pick for different reasons. It's not just the skin color. From the media standpoint, I think it plays a role to a certain extent. Don't get me wrong. But you have other factors, just as Afro-Nerd said, that's going on, that's swirling into the mix, that's definitely swirling into the mix. Now, within the black community, oh, we got color issues for days still. Look at all the skin creams, bleaching, and everything that's going on. We can forget about it. We could be talking about that for the next three weeks, Plantation Olympics. Back over to you, Afro-Nerd. All right. This is how I honestly feel, and this might be my own delusion, but... 
Little Kim was a brown-skinned young woman who, if you look at her early photographs, there was absolutely nothing wrong with her. She looked better in her natural, her natural self originally. Same thing with, with Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson on the cover of, uh, you can even see Thriller, I think he had some work done. But he still was clearly a black person. Afterwards, he became less popular, more freaky, when he became this living mannequin person thing. So um, many of the folks that were at the height of their popularity were, 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 were darker complected. Uh, some of this stuff is because, unfortunately, we, our minds have been screwed with. Uh, we could talk about um, all these syndromes. Uh, what am I thinking of? The syndrome that where you're where you're trapped. Uh, it's really, really more. Stock, yes, thank you. Stockholm syndrome. No one really talks about that with slavery. That's exactly what it is. The the fact that we that we. Many of us, I, I hate even put myself in the mix, but many of us have this feeling that whiteness is more attractive and that some, some black people are going in that direction, even, even, in the, uh, the, even at the motherland. Uh, wasn't it Nigeria recently, Captain? I think it was Nigeria that they permanently banned the sale of bleaching creams recently. That's correct. I think that made the news. That's correct. So I mean, it, there's and this and listen, we can go. This goes across even to Asia. I mean, it, especially India, they have issues with colorism, and uh, I guess I I have embraced all of the color colors of black people, and I I was raised a certain way. So the Oracle did a good job at allowing me to see all these different variants of blackness and to kind of embrace all of it. I never really got into when I saw when I saw. Adam Clayton Powell Jr. as a fair-complected black man, uh, I looked at him in the same way I would look at Sidney Poitier. Uh, the same way I would look at I, I, that's the way I was raised. I looked at um, Eartha Kitt as I would look at as I would look at uh, Lena Horne. Now I know some people say, "Well, that's, that sounds crazy," but I looked at these as all these black people, first of all, as black, and that they were so. My favorite word. Otherworldly, I didn't have time to look at their, at their color. I saw, if you look at these pictures of old black Hollywood, which I'm obsessed with, and I know Sergio is what I'm talking about. When you look, when you look at um, the recent documentary of J- Jackie Robinson, uh, he and his wife, and you see how and, just how and just how black people in general looked, we had it, and you're letting the uh, white racist culture ruin you. On a mental level, they're, they're, they are, have allowed the word, the one word nigger, that awful word, to basically knock you out. Better than an atomic bomb. You know, uh, the Japan had Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We had nigger. Our metaphysical bomb was that. That one word knocked us out. And the absurdity of that word, because it's so absurd, I can't accept it. I don't believe somebody's better than me. I just don't. I've seen too many people. When you see Jackie Robinson in his documentary, and he he liked himself, the dangerous thing. I like me. That's you know that's I I just like I like me. So when I see someone like Jackie Robinson who was clean, he was darker complected. 
freshly coiffed, nice clothes, pre-pad sagging. When I could look at um, Cab Calloway or, or uh, Duke Ellington, all I saw was just refined black people. That's my standard. That's the black standard. Now, everybody else that's doing all this, this witchcraft, when you talk to them, they don't have a black standard. That's the root of the problem. Hell, I even put Rip Prince in that. Prince was, was a modern-day dandy. Even though we can say he was out there, he did represent something. He represented this otherworldliness. So I don't have enough time to waste on someone's piddly skin tone. You're never going to get me to believe that. When my stuff is freshly quaffed and my teeth are white and I have my, and I have my spectators on or whatever, you can't tell me anything. You can't tell me anything. But, but some of these, these, these Negroes that are walking around actively looking their worst, they got a problem. Actively looking their worst. Barack Obama, fresh and clean. I can go through the, uh, all these black folks, dark or light, when they, were, when they were doing that respectability politics thing, which is my thing, you can't touch them. The modern era, the modern era real blacks, they got a problem. And that's what I'm fighting against. So I, I, I looked at, at, at Stephon Curry, no tattoos. See, when we see someone like, see, relatable, see, this is why the captain's here. And, and nothing to do with the man's skin tone. I wasn't looking at that. No tattoos. His wife speaks a certain way that black folks didn't like. When she said, well, listen, I like to keep things demure. I don't like to keep things, you know, some people are into that. Not my thing. Now, that within itself is not, is not a uh, controversial statement. These new blacks made, it, made what she said controversial. Why? She said, I want to keep it classy. What are you saying? Amber, that crew, they got the slut walk going on. And Amber is light-complected, so they tell me. So, <laughs> I said to be facetious, but she's... she's hell-bent on being a quote-unquote nigress. Lapita keeps it classy. So, I mean, my war is classy versus non-classy, not light versus dark. That's my own person, in my personal, my head. I'm I'm lost on this. I think this is, I think this is embarrassing, and I think that these waffle references to waffle-colored Negroes, this is the 21st century. Why are we still talking this way? We're going to carry this into 2200. Are we going to do that? Into into the 22nd century? 22nd century? Are we going to are we going to still be calling black people waffle colored and, and, and ink blot or whatever the uh, coal burner or whatever these these terms are going back years? At some point, it's an it's, it's been embarrassing, but to go further into the future, where we need to be about getting these degrees, getting into STEM research, or becoming a part of the, of the STEM fields, and we're going to be still caught up on skin tone. We look, we look, we look crazy. We look absolutely crazy. And that's it for me. You, you know, Cap. I, I just, I, I hate Plantation Olympics. I hate it. I don't get it. So I guess it's a problem with some people. I, I don't acknowledge it. For my own personal, you know, I, th- I just think we have greater things at stake than to be concerned about some man's, you know, light, lighter skin 
you know, <laughs> I'm lost. On we got another call, I believe. Three one four. Welcome to the midweek. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. You know, this is a. Uh, I'm calling from the Midwest. <clears throat> I was listening to your your conversation on dark versus light, but I put some information in your chat room where this ain't have always been an issue. And as far back as you can read, I was reading a, a book titled uh, has, has to do with black children and uh, their education. Uh, uh, it's called Black Children, Their Roots, Culture, and Learning Style. And it talks about some families that was misconsegregated, you know, quote unquote, light skin. And it, before it we're gets all, in, it talks about. Mis- we, we are all miscegenated. Yeah, well, not, not 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 completely, but a lot. No, because let me finish. Let me let me finish. We're talking about our surnames are European, which is Malcolm X. We talk about that. Whether your name well, is everybody's Washington, surnames now well, European. Well, hold on, sir. sir. Whether it's Washington, it, it's a, at least eighty percent of the of African Americans in this country have a, a certain degree of Caucasian admixture. So just because someone physically is lighter complected doesn't mean that he. He or she doesn't necessarily have to be any 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 less mixed than a darker complected person, believe it or not. Actually, Rice it's about seventy percent. I've heard anywhere between seventy and eighty percent. Well, let's Rice. not get to that point. Well, 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 hold on. Let me see what I got to say on, real sir. fast, and I can let you go back to your. Sir, program. hold on, sir, 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 hold on. Condoleezza Rice is a brown-skinned black woman who phenotypically looks no different than any other black person, allegedly. Her DNA says that she's fifty percent. White, and there are a number of black folks walking around this way, but I'll let you continue. Well, regardless of, of the DNA, it's the phenotypical looks that makes the point. And it, it, am I muted? Or unmuted? No, you're go ahead. Well, I don't know where I left off, but I was saying that it's the phenotyp- phenotypical looks that set these points. And in that book, it was talking about how. The lighter-skinned blacks would not let their children play with the darker-skinned blacks, or should I say the more upperly mobile blacks wouldn't. And nor and they even went to the point of putting fences and hedgerows across the front of their property so that those on the other side of the street couldn't look into. So it has been, you know, a problem. Then you got another problem. Continental Africans, they don't seem to want to associate with... Um, "Quote unquote Black, black Americans. Americans." Yes, there's a and reason you look for that. at. They have created their own pageants, beauty contests, the Nigerians, the Ghanaians, the Cameroons. They have created their own beauty pageants, and you know other things specifically for them that uh, you know they shy away and they detest being called black. By the way, so it is what it is, and I agree with you that uh, the educational alone the lines of viable majors rather than sociology and so on and so on. But a person can do what they want to. But those majors go crying for individuals to the tunes of hundreds, and, you know, they're not being filled. Well, let me say this, because this is, this is a type of conversation. I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I do want to put this out there so, so it's clear as to what we do here at AfroNerd. It's about the mind at this point. It's about being competitive. And when you mention these West African black folk, uh, and we said this ad nauseum on the show that Nigerian Americans 
have the distinction of being the best educated ethnic group, even beyond Asians in this country, where they get, they're getting into multiple Ivy League schools. Uh, their, their path is pretty clear, and their goals are pretty clear. And I, I think it's an embarrassment, not that, we, not that they don't have coloration, color issues uh, in, in Africa, in the continent, but at some level, for, for, for to go into the 21st century and beyond still discussing this kind of thing, where there are major indices that show that black folk are not being competitive, black Americans are not being competitive, this is a waste of time. And it, it, well, I it, agree with I know, you. I know, the, I know the origins of it. We could talk about the, uh, the Kenneth Clark test, the Dahl test from 1940, which was revisited maybe 10 years ago by a young high school student, uh, and you're still getting the same results. And I'm confused at seeing a pale doll versus a, a black doll that looks like a black person and infants, or I should say toddlers, still coming up with the, with the wrong answer. Is what it basically what I should say. It's the wrong. Well, you know, a lot of that. Something is wrong. A lot of that is due to something conditioning too. Well, well, that's the, that's what that that's what's that issue. When are we going to re- reverse engineer the, that that conditioning? Because we're talking about an eighty-year spread now. It's an eighty-year spread between what happened in nineteen forty and where we are now, and we're still stuck in the, in this pain. Allegedly, it sounds it sounds crazy. Look, it's almost a type of body dysmorphia. When I saw old pictures of Little Kim, well, I'm not a fan of her music or what she or what she was trying to promote. But I'm just going about what she looked like. When you when she when she looked gorgeous 10 years ago as a brown skinned black woman, and now she's something not that. Clearly, you have a mental dysfunction. At some point, we have to admit that this is mental. This is this is a mental thing going on now. Well, there's a lot of things that we can attribute a mental dysfunction, even to the recent uh, issues that's going on that has to do with uh, identity. But uh, I agree with you. In one way, whereas, quote-unquote, who we call black here in the United States can make a whole difference in their paradigm is become more economic sound and savvy, uh, more educational sound and savvy, than where we are presently now. All right, sir. As always, we'll leave it at that note. That at that point, I don't want to keep on belaboring this issue. Uh, we appreciate you calling in, uh, Cap. Any any closing remarks on this? And then we'll, I want to talk about Hannibal. Believe it or not, we got about twenty five minutes remaining. Kind of on a on a similar issue, something that we need to be talking about, where, where your history is being rewritten. I want to talk about that. Oh, nothing to add to take away with that. Let's move along. All right, I want to go to a quick groove. Uh, of course, my favorite artist, uh, Prince Rogers Nelson, left the building. Um, so I definitely want to uh, play something from the Purple Room, our, our permanent segment. When we get back, I want to talk about the History Channel's Barbarians Risings documentary. And it seems like some folks are upset that they decided to have a black British actor portray Hannibal. Now, growing up, I was always taught that Hannibal was a, a, a black man of African descent, even though this is North Africa, and that he had – I mean, the, sim, the simple thing was that he conquered Italy. That's like the simple storyline. But um, in recent years, we, we, we've been hearing more and more stories uh, of potential movies coming out, and I think 
Vin Diesel was attached to it at one point, and then I think even Denzel Washington was attached to a potential Hannibal movie. So this documentary, we, we have seen some white people have taken umbrage with the fact that for this documentary, there's a black British actor portraying Hannibal, and they're, they're insistent that this North African military, military strategist was, was white. It's really been a long-standing issue with how African history is, is unpacked. There's this whole divide of sub-Saharan Africa and North Africa, and North Africa where, we, where listen, the Dark Continent has a, 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 a insurmountable amount of achievement if you, t- if you go from north to south. But a lot of the, the um, achievements of note are in, not that there aren't any in South, Sub-Saharan Africa, but there are a lot, if, if you talk about Timbuktu, uh, even in Mali, even now, we know that uh, there have been folks that have attacked the the um, archives in Mali. The the some some of these Islamic terrorists are trying to erase that history. Um, the the what the the Egyptian what what the Egyptians have given to the world. So there's always been this issue with North Africa and North African achievement versus sub-Saharan Africa and just our North Africans, lighter-hued North Africans, are they African? And many whites, that they're just putting that as, as, as white people. So now we're getting into this Hannibal having conquered much of North Africa and Italy, that campaign, uh, and the stories of why why Italians look the way that they do, that story, um, white folks are challenging it, interestingly enough. So, anyway, let's go to this groove. I want to talk about this campaign from the History Channel that, uh, well, they're trying to change your history. So, anyway, this is uh, His Royal Badness, Empty Room, live. We'll be right back, give you about two minutes, and we'll talk about Hannibal. Hold on.
So now when we're getting to, the, to, to history, there's a, the, it, it, cannot, it cannot be confirmed. But we can be logical about Tunisia, as it is now, has a variety of skin tones. Many of them are darker complected, even those who are Berbers, Berbers of antiquity and Berbers today, that particular ethnic group. Um, Cap, I'm pretty sure you want to weigh, on, weigh in on this. Uh, just a brief statement. History is written by the victors. doesn't mean it's true. And now it, it seems more or less <laughs> the powers that be, they consider themselves victorious. They want to rewrite what we were taught in school. That does happen from time to time. But let's just understand that with history in general. It's not necessarily what is true. It's written by the people who are victorious. And that's why I always say I'm not there. I wasn't there. But according to historical record, and just as Afrinerd says, you know, you could use logic. But they're not trying to use logic because there's power in history. There's power in it. That's all I'm going to say, Afrinerd. There you go. I'm, I'm trying to, again, I'm talking extemporaneously, but I remember there was a, uh, a professor from Howard, shout out to Bison, who died uh, within the last couple of years. I believe his name was Dr. Howard Snowden. Um, no relation to Edward Snowden. I, I'm going to look it up now. I believe it was Howard Snowden. But I think uh, Dr. Snowden studied the races of antiquity. Um, and uh, was it Howard? Uh, pardon me. I, I'm pretty sure his name was Snowden. I'll look. I'll look up in a minute. But uh, Snowden, who was a pr professor at uh, Howard University, he studied the races. Of antiquity, and what we classify as race, Frank Snowden, pardon me, Frank Snowden. Um, yeah, he passed in 2007, so we're going back a little bit. Of time. But I remember, he, I know he passed relatively recently. He studied blacks in, in antiquity, but you need to remember the notions of race, scientific racism, and how race plays itself out now in the modern era did not play itself out that way at the time of Hannibal. So it, it becomes quite interesting that we, we, we try to place a modern litmus test against ancient times. Um, I, I, just, I don't know, Cap. I, I just find this, that this is interesting. People are invested in this. I'm going to read a couple of, of um, comments to show you what's going on out here. This is from the AtlantaBlackStar.com. And you have a few of these, these, these commenters I'm talking about. He says, uh, stop manipulating our North African history. Now, let me, let's, 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 let's go into this. Stop manipulating our North African history. Hannibal was not a black sub-Saharan African. Stop this foolishness. He was a Carthaginian uh, for Christ's sake. Uh, Hannibal Barker was not a black African, and this is 100% historical, historical fact. This type of liberal trash and purposeful changing of history is why Disney owns a large share of the History Network and their Mickey Mouse Club show anchors. Um, Phoenicians settled what would come to be called Carthage. They were white. Why is Hannibal black, African, 
I cringe thinking the levels people go uh, to in the name of political, political correctness and historical revisionism. <sighs> See, I, I'm more concerned about this kind of stuff than than someone like Stephon Curry and his his uh, skin tone and these quote unquote waffle pejoratives. This is what's going on now. The, now, interestingly, again, interestingly enough, they're talking about this being revisionist history, but then we need to think about what's going on in the Americas with Texas and some of the southern states with what we what we clearly know to be Africans in the Americas and being slaves, and now we're we're being our ancestors are being referred to as as workers. So who who's 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 doing the revisioning? That's that's what I would like to know. Who's actually doing this? We we know clearly, we know clearly. Because this, this is a little closer as far as time. Matter of fact, um, we don't really, we may not have enough time to actually discuss it. But uh, something of note that I wanted to talk about for the our blue area segment is that there's a a gentleman, a centurion, um, eight years past being a centurion. He's 108 years old, and he was he was visiting the, uh, President Obama. And what makes him distinctive is not only that he's 108 years old. Or that he he is the grandson of a slave, so you literally talk about people. Some of us are, who are still alive to have known a slave. Okay, so we know clearly that these slaves are not workers. We're talking about revisionist history. So, but when it comes down to North African history, and I, I find it offensive that someone says our North African history. Someone, someone who. European will classify North Africa as his history. So whether it's whether it's um, Mali, those archives in Mali, Timbuktu, whether it's the the what's happening in Egypt. Matter of fact, I had a teacher at Hampton, uh, Dr. Hoda Zaki. She was Egyptian, and she considered herself African, Black African actually. Although she, although she was lighter hued, curly hair, uh, looked something like uh, Qaddafi. I mean, much better looking. But she was she she was Egyptian. But at a, at a black school, she would say "we." What does that mean? What what does that mean? Now she's Egyptian. Not not all and many African Americans. This might this might be maybe it's a uh, cap. You can speak about this, but maybe this is some kind of of a tourism ploy, but if you are a black person, like a black American, an Egyptian will say, welcome home to you. I hear that. What does that mean? Who was Haile Selassie? These people. Not not everybody, you know, even Gaddafi, who, who we could talk about uh, in infamy, he considered um, Farrakhan, who was willing to give him millions of dollars, by the way, when the government was going to intervene in that, Considered, considered him his brother. He, there was a direct, direct connection with African Americans and the Libyan leader. So, again, who are these North Africans? I had, I had a, a political science teacher, Dr. Hoda Zaki. You can look her up. So, 
this is this is all politics. Race has always been politics in the modern era. But these folks here are invested that all those achievements, they must go to the white side of things, even though it's in North Africa. And even though we know that the gene, the genetics that are tied to many southern Italians, this has been, this has been put out there uh, kind of as a, as a – no one wants to confirm this, but brown-eyed, curly-haired – swarthy, dark-skinned Italian folks who in the Americas, when they, when they came, many uh, uh, Italians came here in the latter part of the 19th century and in the early part of the 20th century, Ellis Island, there was a process for Italians to become white. There's a book called uh, uh, when, Italians, when Italians Were, were, were White. I, I think that's the name of the book. But it goes into the process that they, that they went through to literally become uh, white. So, Cap, I want to ask you, what are your thoughts about that? About uh, you've gone to Africa. That that some of these countries that 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 countries in Africa that when they greet African Americans, that they will use the term "you're coming home," even in some of the North African countries. That, that is that correct. Mean? That is correct. <laughs> You're all right. They'll say, you know, my brother from a different tribe, your home. That That's what they were running. In Egypt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, that's it's... That's what they were running. We, we've, been, we've been sorely misinformed about the African continent. And we're talking about all these countries in Africa. You know... Shout out to Raven Simone, who called uh, Africa a country, <laughs> the continent of Africa. There, there are countries in Africa. Mm-hmm. But um, we got about two minutes remaining, Cap. Of course, folks, we're going to talk about more nerdy things on Saturday's show for the, uh, the Grindhouse at 6 p.m., where we talk about comic books and video gaming and so forth. But uh, I see... Our, our friend that called and he says that that is a tourist ploy. Quit the joking. I, I, I don't. I can't. I can't say for sure what, whether it is or not. They're telling you that. Well, I was with the Caribbean. <laughs> I was. I was with the real people. <laughs> I was with what they call the real people. People that lived there. That's someone at a hotel. So he could be right, though. The caller could definitely be right, but. That's what I experienced. Yeah, well, yeah, but what, what, what are we supposed to say? We don't, do, do, we, do we scrutinize that or, or what? I don't know. Well, you know, what do, we, what do we say? That was my experience. It is what it is. You know? But I, I knew that to be true, though. I knew that to be true. Anyway, folks, it's been real. Always a pleasure. Uh, we'll pick this up on the Saturday side when we t- Claire Lene and Daryl B., yourself, uh, and of course, uh, Afro nerd speaking. So anyway, Saturday, 6 p.m., always real, giving you Cameron Calloway, Supernatural, Saturday, 6 p.m., pleasure.
have you ever wondered what goes a bumping in the night? Horror, terror, goosebumps, the chills in the fright. Fear rise, oh, from my heart beats down like the sound of a drum. And is this all in my head, or is there something evil looking under my bed? And everywhere I go, and everything I see, it's all supernatural. These demons won't let me be, but underneath my covers, they still don't follow me. Somebody's fine. 